0: Amen. Man, is His mercy good or what? We're going to talk about that today. This is a pivotal point in where we find ourselves in the disciples' life in Jesus' ministry. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 8. Things are going to take a big turn from here on out in our tracking along with the life of Christ and where He's going and what He's doing. And so, Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. It says this, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left, got in the boat, and went again to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. They only had one loaf with them in the boat. And Jesus cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? (laughs) Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see, having ears you do not hear? do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? The answer to that question is, nope, (laughs) not at all. This morning we're talking about Darkness. Lost in darkness is where we find the disciples, and not just the disciples. This whole episode of Jesus' followers, this entourage of disciples going from one side of the lake to the other side of the lake, they just get back, now they're leaving again and heading back. But as soon as they come back, so last week we left them over in Decapolis, Uh, so I have to do this like the weatherman. So over here. Have to do it backwards. They're down here. They just sailed across up here, just south of Capernaum. They just get there. Have you ever been on vacation and it just feels so good, right? And you go away, and then when you get back, guess what? Right? Work happens. Life happens. It's like, oh, it's it's almost hard to go away sometimes, isn't it? Uh, to get back into the routine that you left maybe a week or so ago. Uh, but this is what's happening to Jesus. They go across. They shoot across. The only peace they get is in the boat. And they get right there, and then the Pharisees are right there. And what's their objective? To argue. If you ever been around people like that? <laughs> All they want to do is just argue or, or make their point? No thanks, right? This is the issue that Jesus is facing. In the case that we're looking at, there are very two different distinct ideologies and understandings, belief systems, if you will. Jesus calls them leaven. And so we understand that yeast It's this understanding of of this permeation of things. In other words, influence is what we're talking about. And Jesus, in verse 15, warns the disciples, hey, beware of, when you look at verse 15. So I just briefly want to talk about this for a minute because my concern is when we talk about things in Scripture like this, this is so honestly relevant to where we are actually living in this moment in time in history. And if you get caught thinking, oh, this is just something, you know, the Pharisees this and Herod that and and so on and so forth, that was back then. Leaven is still leaven, even to this day, okay? And I just want to point that out. The leaven of the Pharisees, what is Jesus referring to? Who are they? Well, they were these religious people, right? They were law-abiding people. They extolled the law. In other words, their idea of spirituality was, you must follow the law. You must do things. And if you do the right things, if you do the good things, then God's going to give you a good thumbs up and there you go. And so they worked really hard. The problem with that is, is no one can live up to that standard, right? What's the standard? Jesus reminds us of the standard. Love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the problem. Nobody does that. You don't do it. I don't do it. And so we need some help. So that was the Pharisees. I'm to earn my way to heaven. It's my self-righteousness is what gets me there. If you go to Matthew 16, the same account there, the parallel account that Matthew writes, it's the, it's the, the leaven of the, the Sadducees. They're grouped in with this too. Or who are they? Well, they didn't believe in anything supernatural. You might define them as religious liberalism, if you will. They were the ones that kind of made things work, uh, made the government work, the the, the the temple and that kind of thing. So the idea of... This notion of liberalism, in essence, it would be that, you know, just do whatever you want. God's going to be happy with you. It's all good. All roads lead to heaven, and so on and so forth. That would be a means in which you would understand where they were coming from. You know, we're only human. We can only do what we can do. And you just keep doing the good things, and God will be happy with that, and and you'll get there. Don't worry about it. But there is no such thing as supernatural. There is no resurrection of the dead. You know, this is it. You live, you die. That's it. And then he adds the the the, leaven of Herod which would be Caesar, government, which is just flat-out secularism. It's just, it's just that. That's, that's what it is. It's the coercion of, of, you're going to do this, and because we, the government, have the power to make you say and do these things, guess what? We can do that, and we're going to do that. And so Jesus is saying, beware of these things. To, 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 for, for, for a A governmental entity to force you to think and believe something that you reject, that's this idea. Affirming ideas that you don't believe. And by the way, those are just tactics of tyrants and failed nations, is what those are. And quite frankly, this is what we're living in, you know, our day. I mean, you're seeing this lived out, are you not? Do you see the same things? There is a whole different system, if you will, of of government in our nation, I'll just give you a couple of examples because they apply to us here. Uh, this gentleman's name is Mike Johnson. He lives in Washington State. He runs a gospel mission. He's a counselor. Specifically to help those people with gender dysphoria understand who they are, who, the, who God has made them. So Washington just passed a law stating that churches must hire those that don't share their, those religious beliefs. And so if you're in a mission like that, you have to be hiring someone who doesn't have those same thoughts and ideas about helping people. Brian Tingley, also a licensed counselor, struggles or counsels people with the same notion. The state of Washington has made it illegal to have those kind of counseling conversations now. That just happened. And if you're shocked, well, that's Washington, guess what? The state of Michigan did the same thing. And I don't want to linger too long here, but this is the leaven you and I are dealing with. So what I'm getting at is don't get stuck with, oh, that's back then. No, it's now. There is leaven happening now that you and I need to be aware of, Jesus says. Let me just share this, and I'll just move on, because this could also have been another sermon, but I won't go there. I just want to give you a quote from John Adams, one of our founding fathers. This is what he said. It's rather lengthy, but he said this. While our country remains untainted with the principles and manners in which we are now producing desolation in so many parts of the world... In other words, remember the French Revolution was happening at the same time? The world's falling apart elsewhere is what he's getting at. While she continues, sincere and capable of insidious and pious policies, we shall have the strongest reason to rejoice in the local destination assigned by us by providence. But should the people of America once become capable of that deep simulation towards one another and towards foreign nations which assumes the language of justice and moderation while she is practicing iniquity and extravagance and displays in the most captivating manner the charming picture of candor, frankness, and sincerity. While, all the while, it is rioting and repeating an in insolence, this country will be the most miserable habitation in the world because we have no government armed with the power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. He goes on to say, none of those things, and he, there's this whole list, avarice, the sensational greed or hoarding of wealth, ambition, revenge, all those things would break the cords of the Constitution as a whale goes through a net. And then he explains why. Because our Constitution was made only for a moral And religious people. It is wholly inadequate to govern any other. This is the leaven that's happening in our moment. So let me just state this. Right from the outset, when we talk about light and dark and being lost in the darkness, we are in a spiritual darkness or blindness. That is humanity's universal condition. It's who we are. Ever since Adam opened the door to let sin in the world To this day, everyone is born spiritually blind. Paul says in Ephesians 2, describing this, he describes it as being dead, being dead in the trespasses of your sin. That separates us from Christ. God is light. Christ is the light that has come into the world. And if you are dead, in other words, you are separated from the light. You are in the darkness. So the whole point here, this whole focus where this is going to this fulcrum where we find ourselves in Mark chapter 8 is going to pivot now where Jesus is going and what he's going to do. So we dare not take lightly what is happening. Without the light, you are in a hopeless condition. And that quite frankly flies in the face of everything in the darkness and the people that are in the darkness think about themselves. In fact, they don't think that at all. In fact, they think just the opposite. I'm the one who would declare that Jesus Christ is the light, that's the one that's in the darkness. So listen, every religion that man has made and every religion that makes the claim to know what lies beyond after this life, that they have the knowledge of the spiritual world, how do they know? Even the naturalist, the Darwinist, whatever you want to call it, who claims that there's no such thing as a spiritual world like the Sadducees, That this is all there is, this is life, there is nothing else. They make that claim. How are they able to make that claim that there is nothing else? This is all there is. How do they know? As if they've gone there only to find out that that doesn't exist. In other words, it's all a lie. So here's God's claim. And here's what God is claiming. No religion, save true Christianity, can bring anyone to the light. That's God's claim, the knowledge of God, specifically the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as he describes himself, the God of the living, not of the dead, and everything else is a lie. And you can find some of those things, and I'll just give you a couple of texts. John chapter 1 is a good place to go. Actually, the whole, this whole letter is just amazing because he repeats this over and over again. But John chapter 1, verse 4, in him, Christ in other words, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. little scientific fact there for you, right? I mean, you can be in the dark, but as soon as there's light, I mean, we could shut all these lights off. I could light one candle and it would permeate, right? It's an amazing understanding in how, how those things work. Same gospel, chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said this. Again, he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees, the ones who are in the dark. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the what? Light of life. I mean, that's how he's describing Jesus is the light. And he continues to explain through that passage why he's the light and where he came from. He knows where he has come from because he's been there. Darkness doesn't know. It doesn't know for where it comes. It doesn't know because this is all it knows. It doesn't know anything else. See, there is no other way out of the darkness than to follow Christ. From John 1, Jesus was the light sent into the world. He was sent as a Jewish man to the Jews, specifically to fulfill the law of God and the prophets. He was in the world. He made the world... Through him, the world didn't know him. That's his whole explanation when you read and continue on in John chapter 1. He came to his own, and the Jews did not want him. That's the definition of darkness. When the light is the brightest. Now watch this. When Jesus is there, he's confronted with the, with the Pharisees. They're coming from who knows where just to argue with him. He's been here for two years, traveling all over. He's been up into the Gentile regions, tire and tight, all through uh, the, the uh, Gentile area. He's back down across. He's been all over for two years. In other words, when you see the light face to face, physically see the light face to face, and you can touch him, and you can hear him you can look at him you can understand the words coming out of his mouth when you see the glory of God and light put on display through all the miracles he's been doing this whole time and all you see is darkness the precursor to that was when God made the Israelite nation to begin with and when he brought them out of Egypt you see the same thing so this isn't new to them They get to Sinai. Moses goes up to the mountain. He's gone for 40 days. Everybody's worried. Oh, he must have died. Hey, let's just make a God. And they make a cow and say, Hey, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt, right? It's the same thing. And not just to pick on Jewish people or the Jewish nation, you can go to Romans chapter 1 because this includes everybody else, namely you and I, if you're not a Jew. That God's wrath is revealed from heaven. Because the light is revealed against what? Darkness. It's here. Against all ungodliness. This is how Paul defines it in Romans 1. The light has come. How do I know it's the light? Because it reveals all ungodliness, all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. The darkness has to suppress the truth. But it can't. So Paul goes on to say that God made the light known to them because he put it inside every one of you. That's why I say there's no such thing as an atheist. There isn't one. No such thing. There are truth suppressors, but you can't say there's no such thing as, oh, I don't believe in God. Yeah, you do. You're working really hard to not let it out. It's just like the beach ball in the pool. You physically have to keep it down. And the moment you let it go, what does it do? It pops up every single time. And God does the same thing. How do you know? Because human beings are made in the image of God. We can reason. We have a mind. That reasoning takes you to a cause and effect, and when you follow that, it leads you to an ultimate first cause. Therefore, the only reason you can reason is because God exists, that you have thoughts, that the words you're hearing make sense to you. Where does information come from? I was taught that it evolved. Well, where did that come from? And how did it go? So you have to decide this is the light, this is the darkness. See, the darkness will never go to say God exists. It can't. It won't. It never will. You see this all through Scripture. Everybody has an escape mechanism when we're in the darkness because we don't want to be confronted with what that means. John 3.16 may be very familiar for you, but chances are you stop there, which is unfortunate. And when you continue to read past John 3.16, you get to the verse that says, Light has come into the world, but men love, dark, uh, love the darkness more. They love more darkness. Ephesians 4.17 does the same thing. It demonstrates what darkness is. The futility of the mind. It has a physical consequence of suppression and living in the darkness. Your mind isn't clear. Is that not the culture we're living in? Man's reason should take them to the light, to righteousness, but because they don't want it, they want the darkness more, their understanding is darkened. What don't they understand? They don't understand who God is. Why? Because their heart is hard. They refuse to bend the knee. That's at issue here. If you go back to Mark, this is where Jesus was with the Jewish leaders in verse 13. And this is one of the, this is one of the statements you never want to hear when you get to, it's just tucked in there. When you go <clears throat> as he's dealing with the Pharisees. Verse 12, he sighs deeply, which I appreciate. He's not giving up on them. He's just, really? Really? You're just so bent on the darkness. And here's what he gets to. Verse 13, and he left them. This is it for them. He's only going to make one more pass real quick through this region, but this is it. There is no more light for them. See, there are two types of darkness, and that's what I want to get at today. Unlimited darkness and limited darkness. Two types of characteristics, and I just want to talk about that real quick this morning. Unlimited darkness. A darkness that never ends. When you get to the place where Jesus says, that's it. I'm getting back in the boat. You're done. There is nothing more that I can do, say. There's just nothing left. You won't hear it. And they like in, again, John 3, 19 through 21. What did they want? They wanted a sign. Give us a sign, Jesus. Prove it. Have you had gospel conversations like that? Listen, it doesn't matter how much evidence you're looking at. Everybody's looking at the same pile of evidence. That's not the issue. The issue is your starting point when you look at the pile of evidence. I used to do this with students. It all depends on what kind of glasses you're looking through when you're looking at the pile of evidence. Whatever lenses you're looking through, guess what you're going to find? Exactly what you want to find. Now the question, hey, isn't that circular reasoning? Well, at some point you're going to get there, even with God. Because everybody has a starting point, right? We keep talking about this. Everybody has a standard. Everybody has a belief system. You just got to ask a handful of questions to find out exactly what they're standing on. And I would say almost, if not 100%, they're always borrowing from the Christian God. Because they have to. So, the Pharisees wanted a sign to justify themselves. What is un, unlimited darkness? They like it. That's the first point. They just like it. I like the darkness. I like what I get to do there. I like who. I like it all. I just like it. And to justify themselves, they demand a sign. They wanted a sign. And specifically, a sign in heaven, which I did a little research. And it's just this understanding that if you could give us a, a miracle in the sky, right? I mean, you know, Joshua, the sun stood still. You know, some different things happened back in the day, these really amazing miracles that defy physics, logic, and everything we know about science. Hey, if you could do one of those, then we could believe, maybe. Because earthly miracles? So here's the, here's the distinction that they, I think they're trying to make. If you did something up there, that's heavenly. But something down here, mm, that could be demonic. And maybe they went back to their own history with Moses and Pharaoh. Hey, Pharaoh's priest did some pretty cool things, too, you know? They did some pretty cool tricks, and what did the conclusion that they come to about Jesus? Hey, you cast out demons by what? The prince of demons. That was their argument. They liked the darkness. So there is no sign, there is no rationale that light can dissuade to get them to see. And do they really need more signs, truly? If you go back to John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He's one of these guys. He's one of the Pharisees. One of those that I believe found the light eventually. But he asked this the way he comes to Jesus, he comes to him by night. And what does Jesus say? What does he say? We know who you are because these things are coming from God. We know you're from God. Who's we? All the rest of the Pharisees, they all knew Nicodemus' testimony to that. They all knew. They're just suppressing it because they like it. Not only do they like it, they want others to join with them who hate the light. So you have the Pharisees, you have the Sadducees, you have the Herodians, the, the, the political arm of everything. There's a common hatred even among enemies. None of those factions got along at all right? You know, the, the, the saying, my enemy of my enemy is my friend, that's it. We don't like each other, but we're in the dark, so we'll just, you know, hang out here, but we really don't like that. So let's join forces and attack that. They just want more people. They just want to join others who hate the light. Unlimited darkness loves darkness They want more people to validate themselves while they're in the darkness, and the more darkness, the better. The more evidence you give, the more they'll find an escape route. Everybody has one, too. And all the conversations I've had um, all of these years, especially with students, everybody has an escape mechanism. And, And it has, oh, we haven't found that piece of information yet, but it's out there somewhere. Okay, where do you go with that? I don't know where you go. You're hoping eternal life on something that hasn't been discovered yet to validate your position now? How do you do that? The more darkness, the better. For two years, everyone's seen Jesus' miracles, and you want more? See, I hear even that today, even even from Christians sometimes, as if, finished work of Jesus at the cross isn't enough for you. His word isn't enough. There's always more. There's always something else, another spiritual high, another spiritual feeling for Jesus to run his dog and pony show out. Show me so I know you're there. Really? And I've, again, had some of those conversations in my life. What else do you want him to do? Oh, but i got to have this feeling. i just—I got to feel this. Why? Do you not trust what he's done? Do you not trust what he says? Can that not be enough? See, the problem with that is you're always rushing to the next spiritual high. But how long can you stay there? What has to happen inevitably? You're going to end up in the valley, aren't you? You and I have all done it. Something is going to happen to knock you off of that. Something in life that's going to happen. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, in this life, you will have what? Much tribulation. Trouble. Do you have trouble? Can you stay up there all the time? No, you can't. And then when you traverse down into the valley where things are hard and dark and ugly and messy, what's the question? God, where are you? Why don't I feel something? What's happening? That's why, to me, those things are so dangerous. I mean, consider what Pharaoh saw. Consider what, what he did. Look at the more Moses did, the harder his heart got. Look at only a heart that hears the truth can be hardened. The more you sit under the gospel day, the more you understand the nature of God's word, the more you hear it, the more you hear it, and the less you do it, that the harder your heart come, becomes. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says this. If our gospel is veiled, in other words, hidden, he's he's pulling back from Moses. Remember? Moses, when he came down, had to put this veil because the glory of God was on him and and people couldn't see it. It was just too bright. So if our gospel is veiled, that's the inclination there. It is to those who are perishing. The God of this world has what? Blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of Christ. What does Jesus do? Verse 12, he sighs. He still sighs over these people that he cares and loves so deeply. And it's a heartbreaking moment over their hard hearted and spiritual blindness, over just an obstinate unbelief and a willful ignorance. They loved the darkness. They loved others who loved the darkness. They loved more darkness. And finally, you get to the point. In verse 13, you get to the point of no return. And Jesus says, no sign is going to be given. If you go to Matthew, he'll say, hey, the only sign you get is the one of Jonah. So it's not one he's doing. They've got to go back into their own, own, the Old Testament or their own Bible that they had at the time. And he gets in the boat and he leaves them. Matthew is interesting, gives them a little more uh, insight because he says, he talks about the weather. Hey, You don't get it, but you can go out and go, hey, if it's going to be, you know, red sky at night, you know, sailor's delight and all that, tomorrow it's going to be a good day, right? You can do the weather, but you can't do this. You can tell the seasons or the times, but you don't understand. But you can't tell the season and the time that you're actually living in. The one Moses actually said for you to watch for, and you don't even see it. In Matthew's account especially, he just buries them in judgment. This is what he says, you evil and adulterous generation. Again, this is coming from meek and mild Jesus, right? What season is it? It's the season of salvation. And the only sign you're getting is the sign of Jonah, which they wouldn't understand. And so Jesus left them to their own fate. Listen, it's not just an eternal fate. It is that. But in less than 40 years, Jerusalem is going to be just wiped clean by the Romans in 70 A.D. See, the world is full of people like that, who live and love in the darkness. And the effect isn't just for the great and terrible day of the Lord and His judgment. It affects you and I now. You're seeing it now. You're seeing it in our culture. You can go to other cultures. I've been, had the privilege of going to other places in the world And you see it there, too. It is lived out in real time, and the darkness hurts people. It destroys lives. It destroys the lives of other nations who eject the light, and just to be clear, this nation has become a nation that once loved the light and is quickly moving into the darkness. So you don't have to wait for eternity, in other words. It's happening right before our eyes. It's a fearful and dangerous thing, a tragic thing to be left, to be abandoned, to be given up by Jesus. Paul says the same thing in Romans. So this is unlimited darkness now. There is nothing else for them to do. And Jesus rendering his judgment on these people that he's communicating to who have seen these amazing things for the last two years? But there's another type of darkness, and I'll just call it limited darkness. Well, what is that? Well, that's the people that got in the boat with Jesus. What's the difference? With limited darkness, there's hope. Remember, we all start there, but Jesus is calling a people to Himself. There's the hope that He gives, the Psalms that was read this morning the light is my salvation. You got to get in the boat. You got to go with Jesus if you want to have limited darkness. They didn't understand it either. What was their deal? It's just fascinating to me because I'm pretty much the same way. They get in the boat, there's this conversation hey, beware of the leaven, beware of this bread. And all they think about is what? Did did we miss lunch? (laughs) What? They didn't get it either. But they were in the boat. That's the difference. Here's limited darkness. The people who are coming to the light. They love the light more than they do the darkness. Why did they get in the boat? Why did they, or were they there with Jesus for roughly two years now? It's because they saw and heard the truth. They understood the light. They recognized it. They ran away from the darkness and ran ran to the light. Ephesians 5 says the same things. This is what you used to do. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 10, 11. You once walked this way, but now you're walking a different way. You're walking in the light. You forsake the darkness, you walk in the light. Yeah, I recognize you're still darkness. I hear this a lot too. Oh, I'm not perfect. I get that. Christians, you need to get off of that. That's not anything. Yeah, so what? You're in the light. It's not a justification for you to stay in darkness, and it's not a justification that you can't achieve that. You're not going to achieve that. I am not going to achieve that until I see Jesus face to face, right? We are in the middle in the tension that we have in life. That's what we're living in. I recognize how wretched I am. It's an awful thing, but I'm being drawn to the light. Christ is growing in me. There is less of that than there was in my former life, right? I'm not standing on the shore being left. I'm in the boat. Are you in the boat? Do you love the light more than darkness? Of what you once walked, but now are in the light? John six forty four. no one comes to the Father unless he draws them. Limited darkness loves the light more than darkness, but it likes more light. You can't get enough of it. It wants more. Verse 15, Jesus says, watch out. Watch out for what? Again, watch out for the darkness. Watch out for the teaching. Watch out for anything that denies the light. Anyone who denies Christ. That's what you're watching out for. Any deviation, anything, and again, even in the reading. Even if it sounds good. Well, it sounds good. But is there darkness hidden in there? In other words, if Jesus Christ isn't the center of your theology, if it's if he's not, and your life is spokes on a wheel, it, it, inevitably we flip that around so much that I have to be in the center of that, and God's going to bless this whole thing. That's not, that's not how it works. God is the center. You are the spokes that go out where you live, work, and play, where the gospel is being lived out, where people see it in your life, and you can't get enough. Second Corinthians 6, what fellowship does light have with darkness? It's a rhetorical question. None. 1 John 1, 7, walk in the light as what? He is in the light. Paul said, follow me as what? I follow Christ. There's a recognition that I'm not going to do it right all the time, but follow me as I follow Christ. And when I don't, when I royally screw it up, and I fall into the darkness, the limited darkness, God, the light, has given me a way to come back to him. Has he not? There's a means in which we come to repentance and forgiveness. So Jesus is telling them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Not if they were supposed to pack more bread. And yet, Jesus is ever so patient, isn't he? Ever loving. But he's asking, is your heart's hard too? And so he draws them into light and asking them to do what? Whenever you get to that place, what does Jesus ask them to do? ask them to remember. We forget, don't we? Forget where you put your keys. Sometimes you leave your kids here when you go home. Have you? Uh, no, truly. I've had that number of times over my student ministry history. You're hanging out like, where's your mom and dad? Because they're all playing and having fun with kids. I don't know. And of course, they drive separately. They're doing different things. And then it's like, oh, you get that, you know, really sheepish phone call. Um, Are my kids still there? <laughs> yep. Yeah, they are. <laughs> what is he asking them to remember? The miracles he did? What are we about to remember when we come around the Lord's table? Do you see why? See, the limited darkness, to fight against that, you have to remember what God has done in you and for you. God has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the future. That's the lesson of the prayer that you just asked about, meaning they, hey, teach us to pray. That's what we just went through. It's a lesson we've been teaching for two years. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Seek my kingdom first and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you drink, what you're going to put on. Your good Heavenly Father knows these things. But sometimes we forget, and that's why... This darkness is limited. And this is why we come around the Lord's table as Jesus asked us to to remember. But sometimes, in the stress of life, we are more sometimes like Peter when he got out of the boat at the bequest of Christ and we look at all the waves and everything crashing around us and we take our eyes off of the light. And yet again, Because we are in the boat, Jesus, in his goodness and grace and mercy, reaches out to grab you. He doesn't let you go. We just sang that. And he will pull you back in the boat every single time. With love in his eyes, patience, willing to forgive, he will never leave you floating in the ocean. But you got to get in the boat. Matthew makes this kind of even more clear after Jesus goes through this. He says, Then they understood. He was talking about avoiding the false teaching of the Pharisees, not what they were going to have for lunch. They received more light. And finally, there is no turning back. They crossed the lake. This was it. Listen, this was an understanding in their mind that there was no going back to the Jewish form of things. Now, they didn't understand it all. They didn't have all the revelation. They didn't have all the light yet. But they knew this was the breaking point. Can't go back to that. This is something new. This is the new covenant. This is the church that he's going to start. Now, we don't understand it yet, but they will shortly in just over a year. There was no turning back for them. Many of them would see him all the way to the cross. 500 of them would see him after his resurrection for 40 days. Confident of the light that they knew, understood, and they stayed in it. Listen, everyone is blind, and it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that offers the light so the blind can see. So do you know this light? Hey, Jesus, thank you for your grace and mercy to get us in the boat, to travel with you to not leave us on the shore of unlimited darkness where confusion, helplessness, hopelessness, and ultimately death reign. And again, not just in our eternal punishment, but even in the here and now as we do life as a people, as a nation. Father, we see the darkness all around us. So God, I pray for more light. Well, not even more light, but more understanding in our own hearts and minds of your light. That you would grow us and mature us in the nature and character of Christ. That the light would be clearly seen in each one of us. That we would be unafraid to speak the truth in love and not to play along with the lies that so many are expecting us to play along with. That we wouldn't cover up the lamp that is in the middle of the room. And Father, to be prepared for the tension that comes. God, let this body, let this place, let this time and this moment and where you have placed us and put us, let us recognize the light of Christ. That we may shine it ever so brightly where we live, work, and play. In Jesus' name.